0: Welcome to the Tatum and Pearson podcast with True Plant, bringing you all the news, views, opinion and a bit of a laugh from the world of Speedway.
1: Hi there everybody, it's Kelvin here. Uh, just want to say that uh, we had a few issues with the Wi-Fi with uh, the Bobby Boogaloo Schwartz chat. Um, apologies for that. Um, I do hope that you enjoy it. I know that Nigel and I certainly did. He's got some really, really funny tales, and I'm sure that you're going to enjoy it very much. Thanks again. Cheers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Tatum and Pearson podcast with our friends at True Plant. Today, we have a man joining us that we haven't heard from for quite some time. His name is Bobby Boogaloo Schwartz. Welcome, Bobby, and thanks very much for joining our podcast.
2: No problem. It's great to talk to you, Calvin and Nigel.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's been some time, actually, uh, Nights, because obviously you would have remembered uh, Bobby from your days at Cradley? Because when he came over, he he rode uh, at Cradley in his first season when you had Bruce Pennell there. It must have been exciting times for that part of the world.
0: Well, I think Bobby was part of the golden generation of Americans that really brought a breath of fresh air to British Speedway around the time of Bruce, around the time of John Cowboy Cook, around the time of, um, you know, the Moran boys. And Bobby was very much part of that. Um, went on to serve several of the club, Reading races, of course. Um, and, and always a great showman, who I believe is, is somebody that, that will always go down as a crowd puller. Uh, if you knew Boogaloo was in town, then you knew that, um, you know, there was going to be some entertainment along the way. And I'm uh, no, delighted to have you as a guest on the podcast, Bobby. Great, great to welcome you along.
2: Thank you very much. I'm really excited to yeah. have this time. Right.
1: It's cool because um, we can sort of reflect on how it all started for you. Um, Obviously, um, it was a a golden generation for the Americans. There was all sorts of riders coming through. Tell us a little bit about when it started for you in America, how you got involved. Did your father influence you in in the motorcycling um, scenario? Just give us a bit of a background info on that. Sure. Um Sure.
2: it was a situation where I was racing motocross uh at the time from sort of seventy to seventy three. I was doing that. And then I ended up um I was at a shop, uh there was a mechanic at a shop that moved, then went to Sonny Nutter, who was a top speedway rider in America at the time. And Unfortunate and- name.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah.
2: <laughs> i never thought of it that way actually yes, slightly funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah well his real his first name was lyle but they called him sunny and okay so, right. so anyway that that's um that's where i got my start really is he helped me i was working in a shop i was making 25 dollars a week pushing a broom and uh working on bikes and and uh, i remember i there was a motocross bike, a uh, guy that was a guy named Billy Payne that was riding for Sonny Nutter at the time. And he had me take the, uh, to the car wash, the, the, the court, you know, the quarter car wash, you put the uh, put, you know, a self-serve thing. right Go ahead and so hard that I filled up the the air filter box full of water and got all this water in the engine and the guy had to ride the bike that race the bike that night so they had to pull it all apart and that was one of my first times going <laughs> to the car wash for working at that shop and I, I totally made a big mistake, you know, so that was funny that that happened. But uh, anyhow, my my racing started I was doing five nights a week um, at uh, Ventura on a Tuesday Wednesday at San Bernardino, Thursday at Irwindale, Friday at Costa Mesa, and Saturday uh, was Bakersfield. And uh, so we had quite a lot of races and that's what kind of got me ready to come to Europe. Um, I also was getting uh, invites from John Louie in 1975 and then John Dews as well for Sheffield. And then um, I didn't I didn't go because my dad was, uh, passing, uh, he had cancer at the time and he was not doing well, so he had passed away at the end of '75. And uh, I had, I had um was wanting to come to England, but then all of a sudden I had all this stuff piled onto me, and I had to wait another couple of years to be able to deal with everything at home. And then I got to go um to Cradley when Dan McCormick contacted me through Bruce. And that was, and then I ended up winning the American final at, uh, San Ana bowl for the intercontinental final. So it made it even stronger for me to come to England that year mm. to get into that race. So I was very, you know, excited. So then when I got to England and I got to my first meeting Ron. at Cradley and I barely, I think I made out of practice day there <laughs> one time, but <laughs> this when, is the when I got there, it was totally raining. That night, and and yeah, and I and I got a I was right. a Stevie basketball team versus Bruce Penn all Select or something. It was okay. a challenge match, and uh, I ended up getting eleven out of twelve points that night. <laughs> and and I thought, okay, this is great. This is this is easy, no problem. <laughs> okay. so the next meeting I went to was Halifax, okay, and when I got up there. And saw what it was like. And I could I could smell the beef burgers boiling from across the way. And I couldn't figure out what that was. And everybody had to explain it to me. And and I'm looking at this track and it's really <laughs> banked. And it had a steel wall. I guess it was out of a, a boat, a ship. They 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 made that and then it had it had a giant curb on the inside <laughs> and a curb on the outside, too. You actually had to go up and hit the curb by the wall and go down the track you know and so that really i got i think one or two points (laughs) that night is all i could get and i thought okay this is not gonna be so easy it was completely different up there the shale was harder and stronger and everything was different to me so that was my first couple meetings and then i decided i i know that i have a challenge in front of me you know so but i did have a i did ride for Cradley that year and i had a seven and .4 .4 average I believe something like that which was pretty good for the, the season and I think we did probably 30 something matches at least if not because I can't remember exactly how many teams are in the league but I think in the next year at ready yeah. I remembered there was at least I guess 18 teams I think in the league and uh and that's the oh. year that I got transferred because of the 50 point rule no, and I- uh they, they were going to choose either me or Alan Graham, and they chose me to go. So then Redding got me. And then um, I think I was one of the the persons to help really bring nice them that championship because I, I went from a seven-point average to a ten-point average that year. Yeah. And, uh, I was kind of helping Bernie Lee. He was 40 years old at the time, and he, he was – he would pop out of the start pretty good, but right. I had to block for him and and help out, and and I did that quite good. And I remember Jan Anderson, our team captain at the time, I think, or it was John Davis, said to me, "Bobby, why are you <laughs> always letting Bernie win the races?" I go, "Because we need to win the league." Oh, that's fine. We, 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 we had that huge scandal. Yeah. London, um, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, for forty thousand pounds it was, and I think oh, it was, no, I no. think it was I'm, fifty thousand. They just didn't tell us. I can't believe it, Bobby. I told them. But it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but anyhow, it was it was really good that we we ended up um, you know winning the league. That was really great, and we ended up with some of us got. I guess depending on who was who in the zoo there. Uh, it was a forty thousand pound payout, and I ended up with five thousand pounds. All and right. I know it was either Bill. It was Bill Doar when I he didn't pay me till I came back the next year. <laughs> and when I came back, he went back in his bedroom, I think, in a mattress or something. Cash King, Cash is the, King. There the, the, the were pound notes when he gave, he <laughs> gave me Chuck. cash. So that was the best. Okay. So that's what I used to help. That's what I use to help pay for my wow. house, my down payment. Okay. Wow. Sorry, Nice. I've so got to just really interrupt you. Because, um,
1: that was your second so. season in Europe. And I've got to say that was pretty darn impressive, actually, because you know, <laughs> after a strong opening season, opening gambit at uh, for the Crady Heathens. average was decent in your first year when, you know, every track was brand new to you and you're living in a different country. It's a different culture. It rains a lot. It's cold. It's not the same uh, food and everything else. To go to Reading to another new track and actually be a 10 point average rider and lead the team effectively to a championship, you must look back on that with uh, uh, a lot of pride.
2: Yes, I do, and and it was, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of stuff happening that season. Right. To you know, we were able to use new tire, new heat, edges each heat. If you remember, it was always really crazy. It there was, and then they they started doing the tire rules and stuff after that, because everybody no, no. you know had new Ooh. tires on every every heat, which was kind of not economical for us at the time, but but. Um, it, it was it was a great you know a great situation living i was living with bruce at the time um and then i bought my own house around yeah. a couple blocks well about a mile or so away. well i'll tell you what Bobby, Sutton Sutton Goldfield. Goldfield now is the place uh, where really, all the really helped me out well. by their properties
0: now so um quite clearly the money was pretty good back then but i'm i jest. i'm only joking your, your relationship with Bruce, uh, you won the World Pairs title in 1981. Now, effectively, that was only your third season in professional speedway racing. Um, Bruce was uh, going on to win the World Individual at Wembley in eighty one, But you and Bruce won the World Pairs title. Just what was your relationship like with Bruce as a friend and as a, a teammate?
2: It was great. We were really close friends at the time, for sure, and we'd been traveling the world. You know, we finally got to go to Australia at the end of 1979, that first season, so we did some racing over there that was really good, and we were just, became really close friends, and were racing together, and he, you know, I, I looked up to him because he was <laughs> there before me, and and had, yeah. uh, you know, he introduced me to Eddie Bull and, uh, and his wife, and wife Betty, and then we became really good you know, he helped me out with my engines and stuff, and um, that was it was a great thing for me to have. But it was funny, you know, I gotta say, the first time when I got there to England, when we first got there, Eddie put, picked us up at the airport, and then he drove us yep. to Rye to go to Westlake to pick up some engines for Bruce. And then when we got back to Tamworth, he took us to this place called the Saxon Gateway. And it was a little hole in the wall, like a sliver of a a doorway to go up into this place where you had rooms and, and it was, the room was only wide enough to walk between the two beds and the, the bathroom was down the hallway with this big pool chain (laughs) toilet thing. And we could only put enough water in the tub because there was no shower to, to fill up half the tub. Wow! So we had to decide, and flip a coin to see who was going to go first because we so we were only there for about a week okay and then we got uh introduced to a man named jeff may in in coes hill right by uh, birmingham there and then he put us up in this really nice he had a, a beautiful oh. Oh. beautiful house <laughs> that was built in 1350 or something it was a big, big estate. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, great times, great times, and uh, and of course, you won the world pairs the year after as well, Bobby. I mean, anyway, fantastic achievement. You, you...
2: Well, the, the world, I gotta say this: At the world pairs in Poland, there was sixty thousand people there, and we in one of the races, me and Bruce were getting a five-one, and his bike blew up. So then I had to to um, take over. I was leading the race against the Germans. And then we got a 3-3 instead of a 5-1. And and then the next race, Ole Olsen had backed off coming off the turn um, in the first corner. And he yeah, kind of – the the Germans hit his his uh, back wheel and flipped off the bike. And then the other German hit him. And he flipped off the bike and they were both done for the whole day. So everybody that raced against them got a 5 one <laughs> except for us. So that was yeah. kind of a bummer, but we ended up winning by one point. Yeah. Wow. And uh, the, between the first four teams, there was one point separating everybody and that was pretty gnarly. So then the next year yeah. is what happened. His Bruce and Dennis Segalis qualified for the world pairs. And then they Bruce quit at the Coliseum. And, and, uh, when he quit that night, they are not quit. I retired, I should say, cause he's going into the movies. And then he, the, um, I was informed yep. at the world team cup in August, right before that race in California. And I had a maximum, I had three heat wins for the World Team Cup and then we'd already won the cup. So then they, I gave my last ride to Scott Autry and this is really important for Scott Autry because he had, we had won the gold medal now and he'd never won a gold medal.
1: Yeah, I must just uh, pick up there. Unfortunately, the wifi dropped out just as we were getting to the crucial uh, moment with the Scott Autry story. Um, lovely story actually with uh, Altry coming to the end of his time and Bobby explaining how they gave him a ride So he felt uh, part and parcel of the winning team there and he picks up a gold medal And as I say, Scott Altry remains friends with, with Bobby now He explained about the fact that um, Altry was uh, forever grateful for that moment To uh, enable him to experience that winning feeling with the USA team So... We continue on with the podcast. Uh, As I say, that was a lovely touching moment um, during a a great, a great listen.
2: Perfect. So that year, that situation with Dennis, I only got into the race because Bruce had retired. Okay. So they were the guy, they were the pair that should have gone. So then I went and I knew everybody there. I knew the Bukok family and so did Dennis, but we, I was, traveling there a lot more than any of them so i had a a good friendship with that family and then they took care of us and nigel ended up being our american team manager which he got special dispensation from the bsba to do that (laughs) and um, uh and then we ended up um winning all our heat races and uh at all the i mean all the races through somehow um my guess is that we had carlisle tires on Right. And the only other team that had that was the fins. Okay. And, uh, and, and I know, uh, one of them came up to me and asked me, cause we already won the meeting after five heats and there was still a six heat left and it was against them. And they wanted us to let them try to win so they can get third place. And I go, you're crazy. I'm not <laughs> going to let that happen. We're going to try to get a maximum score. So we did. And, uh, you know, with Dennis and I had it figured out that I was going to ride the inside, gate one and two and he'll take three and four each time. Right. And it worked out just great for us. So yeah we ended up on a maximum score and sure and that was it, and but like I said the team cup was before that though and on in August at, at White City. And then well, that's what I talked about where I gave Scott Autry my last yes. race because he he was our reserve. And again, he didn't score any points but he got on the track. And for him, that was great. And he says he still, he loves that fact that he got to go on the track. Mm. And we had, we, and he got the gold medal and that was his only medal, gold medal of, you know, his seat his um, career. Sure. So I knew, and I never knew that, you know? And so I was glad to be able to help in that. Sure. And, you know, it was sure. great about that too. I got back into the second half, uh, racing on that day and I beat, uh, bruce kelly and sean in that race and went to the final of the day that victor lodorum thing right and and i won that <laughs> so i won every race that day that i was in at that world final at the world team cup and i thought that was pretty cool for me yeah. to do something like that yeah.
1: right. you I- were quite clearly on fire that day that's for sure you really had your trapping hand on and you were renowned for that and you were renowned for riding the inside there's no question that you were very adept at that but i was just sort of gonna go back to the Australian meeting, because I actually managed to ride at Liverpool on one of the Boocock tours. Um, because I know that you did several of those, um, because it closed in the late eighties that track. And that was it was quite unusual actually to have a world final in Australia. So that in itself was 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 quite exciting. And I guess you probably felt confident because you you'd spent some time in that part of the world.
2: Yes and i was there at uh, liverpool really suited me a lot because mm. it was tight you know, yeah. it was like more like a Wimble- like a wimbledon track kind cool. of thing yeah and even a little bit smaller but it it was you had to turn hard and it was banked and in the dirt was nice and and it didn't have a wall which was nice <laughs> yeah. in a way but uh it uh, yeah so that was that was great i mean it, and then you know i want When we won that first meeting, I got to say this, that was the first gold medal and Bruce will tell this story even though he won the individual one two months later uh, at Wembley that year in 81. Yeah. Gold medal was the first one. Jack Very special that race to him because it was the first gold medal even though his individual
1: I think we're having some Wi-Fi issues here. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've, I've lost him, Kelv.
1: I have as well. I think it might have been his end. Right here. Again. Oh, yeah, oh you're here. Are? Great. Great. Okay. Right. Well,
2: cool. we can splice this together. So when when when. So when I came around.
1: Uh, he's coming and going, nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think we need to maybe try another connection. Is that okay?
1: Um. Well, on, unless he can move, or if, has he moved at home? <laughs>
2: here we are, here we are You there?
0: Yeah, okay. yeah.
2: Now I'm outside, I'll just stay outside Cool. Um, so anyway, it worked out For us fine And, and the situation was um, I don't even know what we were at At that moment But um,
1: <laughs> Well no, you, you you had the Carlisle tires. You won with a maximum in Liverpool The track suited you lovely It was tight, it was banked um, I was saying that you knew that part of the world. Obviously, you knew Nigel Bucock well, um, who was who lived in Sydney. He had that sort of guest house, didn't he? He had where everybody used to stay, if you remember. Yeah, in, in
2: Marubra, he was there. In That's right, Marubra. That's right. And we'd go down to the Marubra <laughs> Pie Shop every day and get a curry pie, mate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> super! Now yeah.
0: you're talking, Bobby. Yeah, that was
2: good. Yeah. And, uh, was that a bit of a
0: Midlands accent I heard there? Were you doing a bit of a uh, West Midlands accent there? Yes, yeah,
2: it could have mate. been. It was a little bit then. Yeah.
1: I tell you what, if you start putting the West Midlands on, mate, this chat is finished. Well, Kel, oh. come on, you come on. No, you, no, no, no. no you, you, are
0: pretty good. At mer- you, you take the Mickey out of my wife. Who's I do. Uh, so, hey. so you, you do your impression of of my wife's accent. Go on, let's hear you.
1: Well, I, I can only do the Dudley one. Where, where, All right, mate? am going down to the Dudley High Street, and how I'm going to get myself a pie, and I'm going to get some of them pork scratchings, mate, at the Cradley Evens. Good, <laughs> right. you know. We're going to Emmerum, then, mate. Brilliant,
0: brilliant. Bobby, over to you. Give us a bit of the West Midlands accent. Come on.
2: Oh, how am you Have you seen Bruce? <laughs> have, have you seen Bruce, Bobby? Uh, uh, say hello. Uh, <laughs> Anyhow, Good yeah. effort, boys. It Good was, effort, boys. Was, I love no, it. But I gotta tell it's, you, really, too. One time I was going to Crate League with my first season, and uh I think I don't know, I was just going to to see somebody there or something. And I remember there was a roundabout that you had to go turn and go up and then over this little jump. It was like the Tamworth jump that they had. But <laughs> it was this other jump that you went off this roundabout, you came off of it and went up. And so I would. Gas it a little bit with my Audi to kind of get a little air, and when I came over the other side, here comes the car turning into the GMT factory. A uh, bunch of guys are doing the uh, a change of whatever the hours, and and they bring in their lunch pails. They're walking in and walking out, and I end up center punching this car turning in, but not very hard. I he didn't I didn't really hit him hard, but I hit him, and and then then I I was stuck, I stopped right in the street into this car and and all the guys with the lunch pails came around my car and they're going, oh, we've seen you coming and you were coming like the Dickens you was. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 yeah, I'll never forget it. <laughs> it, it. It was like a mob. They're going to get me, you know, and I'm like, oh, no. I can't believe it. I
0: can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> was that, that Bobby Schwartz, that bloody Speedway rider, who is... down the road for them Cradley Heathens. Yes.
2: He's a nutter. <laughs> that was that's what happened. I, they they let me go. I mean, I didn't. I obviously gave him my information, but I, I know that I I did crash a couple of cars that year. Not, <laughs> not, I mean, that wasn't good. But anyway, you know,
1: <laughs> part and parcel of the first season in Europe. Um, you you came you came actually. You explained why you didn't come when you were a little bit younger. You you had offers uh from Ipswich and Sheffield. And you came a few years later after your dad, obviously, sadly passed away. Um, you didn't actually spend that much time here, Bobby. By, you know, um, by about 1986, uh, at the end of that season, it appears that you you went home. Um, obviously, you had some smashing times at Reading and then you went to Eastbourne and just the one season at Kings Lynn. What was the reason behind that?
2: Because And I was at was Wolverhampton on- as well in 85. Okay. The Beacon Wolves. Yes. The, the Beacon yeah. Radio Wolves. And that's when Pete Adams was promoting there.
0: That's right. He hit hard times that year. And was it that yeah. year that he hit hard times and uh, Chris Van Strappen and Tony Moell had to come in and rescue it?
2: Yeah, he did. And that's why I think I even had to wait to the next year to get paid the last sure. bit of money that I had. But he did promise it to me and he did he did give it to me when I came back. Good stuff. All so, right. Uh, That was fine. It was good. And he, but he, you know, it was, he was struggling, like you said, at that point. Yeah. Um, And I didn't, I wasn't doing that good there. I was only having like a nine point average or something. And that's when they kind of got rid of me again. And then I went on to King's Lynn and, um, and then Sam came, Sam showed up then. And, uh, and I was the one that helped Sam in that world final the year before in 19, what, 85, was it? Yeah. Also, yeah. yeah, so he he had my um my engine and he took it. Yeah, he had the bike first, but he rode it and he didn't want it to use the chassis, so he took the engine out. And that engine was funny enough was built by Eddie Bull. It was bought for us when we first in 1980. We bought this bike to have a spare bike for the test matches, and wow, okay. it never. Wow. And the bike the bike went around all the time with us, but nobody ever rode it. Wow. And then... And finally, in like 1984, I think when I was at uh, five or something, I I ended up taking it out of the shed and putting the engine (laughs) in my bike. And it was the fastest engine. That was the the engine that Sam rode at the world final in Bradford. Really? It was that engine that Eddie Bull built that sat in a shed for years. (laughs) Okay. And nobody knew it was great except for when I got on it. And then I went, whoa. And then I said, here, (laughs) you got to try this. I won the American final on it. Then I gave it to Sam and he, he almost won the world final on it. And, Uh and I did tell him at the starting line, I says, dude, you're going to be, you're up against Eric and Hans Nielsen here. So you're going to have to just drop the clutch, whatever you do. (laughs) You're just going to have to go up there and go. And he, and he didn't, he just waited. And then they Uh went, they went and then he went, but anyway, that was a great thing for me to be involved with. And Sam, I'm sure really appreciates sure. the help that I gave him that year.
1: Yeah. Can I, can I just reflect on that period of time again, because it was a golden era for American speedway. You had uh, a group of riders that were so incredibly talented. You had the two, we haven't mentioned them yet. We had, we had the two Sean, uh, the Moran boys, obviously Sean and Kelly, you had John Cowboy cook. You had Lance King, you had yourself, you had Dennis Segalas. you had Bruce Penhall. I mean, Can you ever see the uh, situation in the future where that could happen
2: again? You know, I don't think in our lifetime, no, because really there's not enough tracks here anymore. And at that time we were doing five nights a week. And now Mm. we're lucky if there's two and doing, they're doing half the amount of races, you know, like Costa Mesa does anywhere between eight as a low and 12 or 13 as a high when it used to do 20, three races at every track and there was five of those. So we had a really great uh, upbringing with having all the races we could do. So now the sport's not as big as possibly even in England. Maybe, I don't know. Um, You know, it's a lot less riders now and, Mm. and a lot less tracks. So, I mean, some guys have to travel five or 600 miles to go to Auburn northern california just to do a race um and and where you know it's quite a ways to go when you're and then show up and then race and then go home it's quite a long sure. way so mm. what i'm saying is is that it was i don't expect that they're going to be the, that that kind of influx of riders again i mean you saw max rummel came over and he's probably going to show up there again eventually because he's really good and his brother dylan are very good he's very good and those two could become international racers if they were to show up. Um, I just don't think there's then there's Austin Navratil over here. He's fast, but he's you know kind of a little wide open merchant. He doesn't have good throttle control yet, um, but he's but he's got promise. You know, he could. He's very 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 fast. But okay. again, you saw him there at some point, and then you didn't. So I don't know how these guys are going to shape up to get over there and do this, but there's only going to be, you know, five or six if you're lucky and you need more than that. Like we mm. had 13 when we first came over there and then there was eight of us that were probably really good, you know? Yeah. And, and in the end, it that part isn't going to happen again right away at this point. No, it's
1: been some time because obviously you had Billy and Greg and Greg is now retired. And to be perfectly honest, there is, not going to be because obviously with the Grand Prix series, I was going to ask you what your thoughts are on the Grand Prix series. But obviously, you know, it's a shame now that you're not going to have a, a representation from America at the highest level, because there's no question that uh, the USA always brought razzmatazz to the international scene and certainly over here. No question about it.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's again, it just there's just not enough people or kids that are coming up that could replace it the situation that's never been, it's never been replaced really since no. Greg and Billy were there, you know, and then, you know, Ronnie was there and then Sam was there and, and now those guys are all, you know, everybody got older. So uh, that's
1: right. we're all getting older. That's for sure. Yeah. I want to, I've got to talk to you about when I started riding, I started at Wimbledon in 1983. And when I started riding, um, I think there was the animosity between the Great Britain team and the USA team, I think may have been at its peak because Kenny Carter quite clearly wasn't everybody's favorite. And, and, you know, obviously what happened to Kenny was, was tragic in the end, but there was no doubt there was serious rivalry between you boys and him in particular.
2: Yeah. Well, I would say it really wasn't all of us. It seemed like it was Bruce Pennell and him, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and that was really happening. Uh, quite a bit. I remember even going up to, if you possibly remember this, Kelvin, that when you went to Halifax, they were able to be at the starting gate right next to you on the wall. And, yes. But then they had to build a barrier with with uh, two by fours in order to keep the punters back from hitting Bruce on the head with, his, <laughs> with their program board as he's trying to take the green light. Now they're hitting him on the head, you know, with, <laughs> and that wasn't on for Bruce. And so they ended up building a little thing there, which they kept there for every race, but they had to keep the guys off the wall there from that. So yeah, there was this rivalry going on with the Americans because they, they printed these badges up in Halifax. They were selling that says, I hate Americans, you know? All
1: right. Okay. And 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 I've, I've
2: got one in my shop. (laughs) (laughs) But that's That was what, that's what, how it was. So yeah, that rivalry, you know, that sparked the fans to come out though, you know? Oh God.
1: Yeah. That was box office, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. So that wasn't, and I know he probably didn't like all of us, but he, you know, I could talk to him. It wasn't a problem. You know, he was, he was Kenny and you know, he was a little like everybody, including myself, a little different, I guess, but Mm. Um, you know, I don't know. Well,
1: I, I got to know him a bit because obviously I, I rode in the World Pairs Final in 85 with him in Rybnik and in Poland and I was like the newbie uh, at, at that level. I'd replaced, we'd replaced Peter Collins and Chris Morton who were actually the reigning champions from the year before. So it was quite a controversial decision from John Berry who was the team manager at the time. So I did get to know Kenny quite well and he was like two different characters, you know, he, away from the track he was Quite, he was a decent guy, a really decent guy, but when you got to the track, he grew horns and he was a totally different sort of fellow altogether. But I just remember coming into British Speedway and starting my career and there was significant rivalry between the two camps. But as you rightly say, with the test matches and international level, that really did generate a tremendous amount of interest. And I can remember a, a big meeting, a test match at Wimbledon. And I mean, wow, the, 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 I think Dennis the got a maximum that night and it, the atmosphere was just incredible.
2: Yeah, and it was and that track really lent to good racing and tight and tight mm. and close racing. Cause mm. it was, it was kind of like, you had to turn hard and especially up the inside coming out of four, you do the Roger Johns thing where you go way out wide and then cut up the inside. <laughs> You know, and that was, he was his trick and he'd get a lot of us doing that. That was a good track. That was, I was one of my favorites and Eastbourne was as well too. And, you know, mm. and I rode for Bob there in 1984. Um, I ended up getting on that show, A Question of Sport um, from, Did you? yes, I was on that in 1984 because Russell Lanning was our team manager at eastbourne and of course dave lanning was his dad and they knew all the people at the bbc and somehow they probably needed a, you know a fill in that weekend because i know peter collins used to get called up a lot to go on right. the show when somebody didn't show up because he was in town you know there so when okay. they so they tell so i go to this show and it's all about english sport and i'm like <laughs> you know okay so the guy says to me the producer says hey you want to go in the back room and I'll show you the answers to your questions okay <laughs> so I said okay well I would have got them right one was from Landshut and something else I don't remember but I know that I would have got them both okay, okay so cool. I did. but check this out they asked us a question what sport did NASA help develop okay so right. I'm the, so I'm saying that was basis of the question I can't remember the whole question but it was what you know what did NASA help develop and I'm thinking, Okay, NASA, space, space, weightless, weightless, uh, hanging. know floating. And then I go, floating, hanging. I go, oh, to myself, Billy Beaumont, I think it's hang gliding. And guess what? It was right. <laughs> it was right. And I got it right by thinking what I just said to you. Right. Uh, and I went, space, uh, floating, floating, hanging, hanging, hang gliding, hang gliding. <laughs> they, you got it wrong. They were blew their became, mind. You, they blew their minds. Those the producers yeah, say, blew became their became minds. The, of the show. <laughs> they blew their minds. They, they took me out to dinner that night because it was the last show they were doing in the series, and so they took me out to dinner. And Emlyn Hughes was the other guy, and I remember sitting next to him in the in the waiting room or the whatever you call it um for the get the table. And I remember sitting by him, and I says. I go, I don't mean to be cheeky. I remember saying this exactly this way. I don't mean to be cheeky, but what did you do? <laughs> so Eddie says, I'll never forget. He goes, I got 53 caps for my country. And, <laughs> da, 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 and I was this and all this. And I'm like, oh. and hey, would you like to come to my house? He invited me to his house, you know, with his family to meet his family and everything. And and then I didn't go, but I saw him a couple of years later at the NEC and he invited me again. He he was such a genuinely nice person.
1: Okay. Cool. And, I,
2: and I want to say the last thing is he even made, unfortunately, when he passed away, they had a big article in the LA Times here in this country on Emily on Emeline Hughes. Yes. It was oh. great. It was great to see. It cool. gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Cause I was, he was just a genuinely nice person. He really was. He wasn't like he was exactly like you saw him
1: so yeah did you know about that night? did you know that story hello mate you there
2: nigel where are you (laughs) he's
1: gone he's gone but that was that was fantastic but um i think uh, we've got a few issues with the wi-fi at times i'll try and reconnect with him in a minute but um uh we'll, we'll just leave it there for a moment, uh Bobby, and I'll just send him another message and click. I've never had issues with the Wi-Fi before. It's probably because it's so bloody hot here. I mean it's ridiculous hot. Is it? Hang on a sec. Hang okay. on a sec. Okay. Yeah, he's gone. He's not on here. Yeah, he has, yeah. Let's just yeah. send this message back through to him and see if we can get him to hook back up. But that was that's a fantastic story about the uh the BBC. Yeah. And there's the question of sport because, you know, and for you to have got that hand-gliding question right. That's, <laughs> hey, that, stop talking about special. me now. And your thought, your th- That's well, right. Did you get listen, any of that BBC? I never the knew question. anything about
0: the Emlyn story. And I think it's brilliant because I can pick up straight away from your question, Kelv. Did you know that story? And I will say, and hopefully Emma, Emma can splice this together. And I will say, <clears throat> right. Emlyn Hughes won virtually everything for one of the greatest football clubs this country has ever seen, Liverpool. Uh, He was an absolute legend. He went on to present his own radio show. Such was the charisma and character of the man. Uh, And he was somebody who I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed watching and listening to. And uh, I can resonate with that, Bobby. I can imagine it must have been, you know, once you realised the um the depth of uh or the the in-depth knowledge of of what he had and what he did as a footballer or soccer player as you guys call it you know i can i can fully understand how you must have appreciated that because Emlyn hughes was a football legend and uh and and just an all-round nice guy that voice that high-pitched voice Emlyn. my name's Emlyn. it was fantastic and he was great (laughs) as well absolutely fabulous
2: and yes and i and i you know like i said it was lucky to go with them after the that last show because they all had this dinner together and they invited me and um and i know there was i'm not trying to be cheeky or anything but there was a girl there like <laughs> me apparently um, and that was part of the reason they wanted me to go and she was like well, she was like the producer like a producer's assistant or something i guess i don't know but in the end she wanted me to start dating her or something and i couldn't i couldn't <laughs> drive to manchester from sutton goldfield every <laughs> week or day or so it never really went anywhere but i know there was a, she was trying to help well that's interesting kelvin
0: that, mr tatum we
2: can't go into our our
0: past exploits in television can we but that's not too dissimilar to stories that we've heard before uh, not including ourselves <laughs> but with a member of tv staff and a certain rider i think we'll We'll leave it there, shall we
2: I think we
0: best. We don't don't want to ruin any families. We (laughs) don't want to be a marriage wrecker. Oh,
2: no. No, no, no. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I was chuffed that 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 happened for me because it was kind of cool that it was a great night and and then we all got to go out together and then, you know, I had to let her down, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't even remember. You know, I just know she was... I remember seeing her. I can kind of remember her now, but I don't remember her name or anything. I just know she was that person. And anyhow, uh-huh. that was a great day and a great evening. And, uh, you know, so I appreciated that. And I'll never forget it. And thanks to Russell Lanning for doing that for me. You know, I'd like to mention, too, my one of my engine tuners was Reg Randall. And he just passed away this okay. last year in England. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, okay. and he helped me out quite a bit in the years even when I came home. We were able to send engines to him yeah. and Eddie Bull yeah. again, um, so both those guys were really a, a big help in my career. Um, and uh, I actually had Phil Pratt at the beginning too, sure, yeah, um, uh, with Jawas and stuff. And then uh, I had uh, oh, I don't know, you, you know, I had so many great times there and great races and great everything. Just being with the USA team in 1982, we won everything, we won every sure. every world final. Including the long track. Brilliant. So, and then. There's special
1: times that actually. And I know know that you did quite a lot of long track racing uh, as well. And because we spoke about that briefly before, where you went to Herxheim and Altrip and Shazel and all those types of places. Yes. Quite clearly enjoyed that as well. But I want to get back to the point. Why did did you leave the Europe at the end of 86?
2: Because it was faltering itself. It was, you know, it started a few years earlier, and it just wasn't um, – there was only, what, eight or nine nine teams in the league now or something. Um, I I can remember we only racing twice a week if we were lucky. And um, my guess, I just had enough for something because people – I was having to go to different tracks, like I said, from – Wolverhampton to King's Lynn and to, to from well Eastbourne I was that's when Bob Charles dugard the father the grandpa father whatever um he paid 25 thousand pounds for me to come to Eastbourne that year and and I didn't want to leave reading so luckily I got some of that money so that was right good. and then in the end I, I they they couldn't have me the next year and um, I think I did. I mentioned that when I rode in 12 British league matches there that I ended up in winning every heat except for four wow. races In um, 12 <laughs> British league matches at like 11.5 or six average for my home 12 ma- meetings. But I it was only either Mitch Shearer beat me twice or Sam Marmalenko beat me twice or Lance King. Those three guys beat me except for one of them beat me twice and that right. was it and that was it and that but we, it didn't really help the team cuz we weren't really that good that year right. but but they had to let me go that year because they weren't going to national league the next year and okay so then i got to go to these tracks and race but they didn't they tracks probably couldn't afford to pay like another big signing not signing fee but a a trans, uh, whatever buy me fee you know so bob Dugard
1: transfer, transfer fee
2: so Bob Dugard let me go and probably only charge them a hundred quid a meeting or something, you know, just to have me be in the British league still is what he wanted to do. Okay. Uh, and so that's when it was faltering and, you know, I could, not I was able to get my money, but it was just few and far between. And I just don't remember why I know I came back in 87 for a month with, with Kings Lynn again. Um uh, just for the last month because I was in America that whole year. And that year in America, I won 54 scratch main <laughs> events. And, the, and the, okay. And the next guy, next guy won two. Two. So they were so pissed off at me coming home. <laughs> you didn't have many friends. No, because they see my van pull in and go, oh, shit. So there was four <coughs> nights a week, and I would win three of them and get second in the other one there was like 20, there was 22 meetings and I won 18 of them at Ascot and got five seconds. So I was either first or second the whole year. And and Chris Agajanian wanted to put a bounty on my head, you know? Yeah. So the next year, so the next year I won 45, then I went to 35 and then the 25. So I would go down by about 10 each year because I was the guy that was setting the tempo all the time. And finally I, you know, you just, end up not doing as good as you were doing when you were at the British league that wow. level. Yeah, wow yeah, yeah. so that uh, was think, that was good for me anyway sure so this All is right. my this but, is my 46th season this year that I just finished last year I mean was 46 seasons straight in speedway wow it's a brilliant achievement That's incredible and i i remember bobby um,
0: what a great attraction you were at the indoor meeting at brighton um you rode the indoor track there much better than Kelvin Tatum. Um, and, 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 <laughs> you know, you, you just put on a great show there and, and to have this, I'm sure I do recall Sean McConnell came <laughs> and, and did some indoor as well. And, but you, you were, um you were a great attraction at the Brighton Bonanza. I do recall the indoor meeting at the Brighton center.
2: Yeah. And then, Martin Dugard fired me in the end because I couldn't come over. <laughs> I couldn't come over from my, my mom was in this hospital thing and she wasn't doing very well at all. And she begged me not to go, you know, cause she, and and I really wanted to go and I just didn't go cause she kept asking me, please don't leave. And I didn't. And I stayed with her and they, they wouldn't let me come the next year then um, after that, because he thought I, you know, I kept calling, talking to Sean about it because I didn't want to not, not go, but I just, It was just hard to tell. Look, at oh, my... but I was
1: pleased. I was pleased you didn't come over because you embarrassed me when you turned up at Brighton. Because <laughs> by that by that by that time I was riding on the long track and I just I'd forgotten how to turn a bike completely. So right, riding there, my God, that was tricky around there at times. But uh, it, it ran successfully for some time, and it was a pretty cool venue right <laughs> down on the seafront there.
2: Yeah, it was, and I enjoyed that a lot too. But I will say, I remember something. I just thought of it. I was at uh, Eastbourne my first time in 79. I showed up there with Cradley and I went into turn one and two and just did the back it in boogaloo thing. And I, <laughs> and I totally wiped out Gordon Kent without touching him, <laughs> without touching him. And I came into the pits and here comes Barney Kennett and, and this <laughs> Kennett and this Kennett and this Kennett, and, and they're all in my face, man. Like, and I'm this little young kid from America going, fuck, what's happening here? What did I do? I didn't touch him, I didn't <laughs> knock him off on purpose. Like, he fell down because I went in underneath him and I was there. Yeah. And uh, you know, just like anyway, that was I'll never forget that. Yeah, that. I,
1: I, 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 I don't think they quite saw it that way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get the feeling a young a young a young American rider in his first season, you weren't allowed to get away with that. I think you <laughs> you were certainly gonna get pulled up, but wow. Well, um, Look, I, I I think that's fantastic. I, I'd like to just have a quick chat about what you're up to now. I know that you've been involved in property. You know your your longevity in speedway sport is incredible. I I I think it's it's uh, something to be very proud of indeed. But you you also have another business going on,
2: and you with with property, I believe. Yes, yeah, so and I came home in '86. I bought my first house in in Costa Mesa uh, for one hundred thirty five thousand dollars or something. It was it was at the time and my payment was like $727 and and so i uh, then i started getting some more ones cuz i had made some money racing in england and saved some money and put it into a currency fund and uh, i remember brigo wanted to know what i was doing cuz i made a bunch of money in this currency fund in 6 months i made like $550,000 or something crazy on on this thing and then it never really went any good after that and brigo got in but he, it, for like a couple of years, but it didn't really, it worked out, but not as good as what I just had happen. So that helped yeah. me out to come home with some extra money and to buy some properties here because I sold my house in Sutton Coalfield two years later to the neighbor next door and the neighbor next door, they would come, you know, I had like stuff in my house that was getting ripped off and they were stealing it <laughs> from next door. And my mechanic Billy saw the guy next door wearing my silk jacket. Okay. <laughs> down on the parade. Down down on the parade in Sutton Coalfield. He's got my jacket on that was in my box and in, in the that was sent to me. But he broke into my house, stole the the jackets, <laughs> and then was wearing them and going, you know, you know, he's my neighbor. So he ended up buying the house though, that guy did. He bought my house. All right. He wasn't all bad. No, but he kept breaking in. So the problem was it was breaking the door when he would break in. And I said, you know what? You're buying this house. So just keep breaking it because I'm not fixing any of it. I'll never forget that either. But he ended up buying it in the end. So that money I came home with, I ended up putting down payments on these houses. But they wouldn't let me buy them for a regular. I had to put down at least 20% money to prove that I could. Cause I was a speedway rider. And if I got hurt tomorrow, I don't have a job, you know?
1: So I had to do
2: that. So then it ended up doing that. And so now so far, um, four of them have just paid off. So that's cause it's been 30 years, you see? Yes. So, yes. And, and it didn't take, it wasn't overnight, but so that's good. And now I have a little income from that. And then, um, and I still don't charge these people near (laughs) enough rent, you know? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, this one person's been there for twenty-something years, and I still charge her eighteen hundred dollars because I never—I've right. never seen them. I've never had to go there. I've never, oh, I've never gone there. So, but um, the and the houses have really improved in, improved in prices over the years, as you would figure at this point. So, oh. but right oh. now, I'm not doing anything with it because um, they're all older houses, and someday I'll be able to probably put newer houses on those properties but for now i'm just going to let it ride and keep going and i i have i have a, some other stuff that my dad had left me when i was younger and i still manage that and uh with some duplexes in Isla Vista at the campus of UCSB where check this out you guys i got to tell you this is a true story and i'm even in the yearbook and i was 11 years old it was february 11th 1968 yeah. And I went to the gymnasium at the in on Santa Barbara's campus of UCSB. It was just in a gym, and they got to see Jimi Hendrix. Okay, and uh, and, uh, and that's right when he wow. came from England, and 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 it was fe- it was February eleventh. I ran in to this gymnasium when the glass doors opened, and guess what? I I did the Boogaloo <laughs> Shuffle, and I got right to the front. I got right to the front, and I'm I'm eleven years old, and my brothers were about. Three or four people <laughs> behind me sitting on the floor. It was a, it was a, um, it was just a basketball court. So we just well, sat on the floor. The hardwood floor it was a pillow concert. They called it. Bring a pillow and sit on it. I didn't bring uh, a pillow. Anyway, it worked <laughs> out that I'm in the picture of the yearbook. It shows the guy next to me in the front row who was standing there, who had these telescopic lenses, and I was holding one when he changed him out. Well, obviously, he took this picture over the back of my head. And you can see Hendrix on the stage, but you see my, I'm the first head. You only see two or three heads, but you see my head looking at Hendrix, you know? And I was, I can't even believe I got a picture in the yearbook. I know you won't see my face, but I know it's me. Okay. And it's pretty yeah. cool that I'm sharing this photo with Jimi Hendrix at 11 years old. And I knew exactly all his songs and everything. Cause my brother was three and six years older than me. They were. And right. so anyhow, I just had to throw that it's in. It's a great story, because sure. not many people <laughs> saw great. Jimi Hendrix, let alone in the yeah. front row. The Boogaloo <laughs> Shuffle right. you. The Boogaloo Shuffle, I love that. I was running, is what I was doing you know, when I was a little kid, and I, I actually bolted out of the barrier that I was getting kept in, and I kind of got out of it and went run around it, and then went under when the doors opened. I kind of snuck down and leaned down and went shoot in. And uh, never handed my ticket. It was three bucks to go in. Three dollars. Wow. Yeah. Value. Value. Value for money. So, yeah. And yeah. you don't know many people that got to do that. But anyway. Um, thank uh, Thank you for listening brilliant. to that. And I met the clash. <laughs> I met the clash in 1982 <laughs> on their London calling tour in Australia. We were going on a plane from Australia to New Zealand with Bruce, me, and Mikey as mechanic. And we're in the middle coach section of this Pan Am flight. And I'm the back coach. I hear this boom box. And I go, Hey Bruce, there's a boom box in the back of this plane. And I've never heard a boom box on a 747. So I gotta go find out what's going on. And so I walk <laughs> back there and they go, I go, what's going on here? They go, We're the clash, we're the clash. They're doing their London calling, Australasian tour, Asia, Australia, New Zealand. And they go, sit down. Wow. So I sit down and I end up hanging out with the drummer Topper Heden, <laughs> Okay. And he ends up, we ended up becoming friends. Then the next day we got off the plane, we got off the plane and it was either Joe Strummer or Mick Jones lost the batteries off the back of the boom box. And I I said, well, let's go back on the plane and get it. He goes, oh no, it says, do not enter, do not enter. I go, come on, you lost your wallet on the plane. Let's go get it. So we go up there, we go on to the thing. There's only five gates in New Zealand. There might be six now. Um, and th- and th- we go on the plane, and there's his stuff. And he goes, Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks. You know, come to our concert. Come to our concert. <laughs> well, when are you going to be? We're in Christchurch next week, he said. And I said, Oh, we're in Christchurch next week, too, racing it to Christ in Templeton. He goes, Oh, yeah, come to our concert. So we rock up to this auditorium, probably the Odeon or something in, in Christchurch. And we tell the lady who we are, me and Bruce and Mikey. We're trying to explain who we are. And she goes, Oh, no, your name's not on the list. But that's okay. Go on in anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's what she said. So we go, okay, because I guess we sounded and looked American, right? So she believed us and let us go in. Then the roadie guy saw us in the crowd and got us up on the stage. Now, I've never seen anybody kicking and spitting and doing all this stuff at these concerts, right? Their mosh pit thing or whatever they had going, (laughs) And I, I wasn't really into the clash at the time, but then I was after I met them. And then in the end, Topper Heaton came to the to Wimbledon to watch us race. He came there in, in like March or whatever or April. And then they when we won the World Team Cup at White City, we went to the Hard Rock Cafe and they called him. Somebody called him and he came down with his wow. girlfriend. Topper did. And I got his drumsticks that time in New Zealand as well. I got these really beat up cool black drumsticks with gold leaf writing on it that says toppers boppers on them, but they're just <laughs> ripped apart and feathered from banging the drums so hard. And I saw a video of him talking about how he had to they asked him to bang it so hard that it was ruining his drumsticks. Well, I got a set of those ruined drumsticks. Great. I'll tell you that. Great, great. So, that's <laughs> that's a good that's a story. That's it. So it's all say that. You know I will say that he got kicked out of the group the next year but um, <laughs> and the group was never the same after that apparently no that's 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 true that's that is true so, yeah. well
1: look that 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 is just fantastic mate this is going to make a smashing podcast it's going to be a fantastic listen i we really appreciate you joining uh and and coming on um we're, we're going to wrap it up there now, mate, because that's more that we've got plenty to play with there. And I, I and we I know both of us are really appreciative of, of, of yeah. your time. That's really cool. But
2: I hope that I didn't overdo my time and try, try to not talk about Speedway stuff as much as I did talk about it. And you know, No, 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 no.
1: no, no this is fantastic. This is exactly what we're looking for. I can tell you like those stories about going on the question of sport, the clash, Jimi Hendrix, I mean – I tell you, that's the that's the stuff. That's that what fans we're looking for. Don't that is know what we've it. been looking
0: that... for on the podcast. We don't just want it to be a chronological. I rode here, I rode there. We want we want different stories. you no. have done that tonight, Bobby, and it's brilliant. Yeah.
2: Okay, yeah. and I have Can more. You... So whenever you need more we'll stuff, we'll do one let later in the
0: year. We'll have Bobby <laughs> Schwartz part two.
2: all right Nigel and Kelvin thank you so much for having me on tonight I really appreciate that because I I really you know I did do a little service to help in England and I know I was a bad boy sometimes (laughs) but it's just you know I don't know I mean it's part of what you
1: I I, I tell you this is going to be this is going to be very popular I can assure you you're going to get a lot of plays because your name will be very eye-catching when we when when we launch it next week and people haven't heard from you. And, and I think they'll be very keen to hear from you right now. So don't uh, don't you worry about that. You know who used to
2: be- travel with us was Gary Newborn. Yeah, you Gary, remember him? Gary, the- Gary yeah. yeah. Okay. He, he, so Gary used to come in our car to go to Wimbledon or wherever we were going. he wanted to go to the races with us. But he was always so funny. He was a little yeah. different, you know, yeah. at the time. But I don't know it, exactly how I'm trying to say it. But it was, he was a good friend to us. He really liked us and we would take him to the races yeah. sometimes, you know, because he was going to do a report, but he wa- he didn't want to take his own car. So Yeah, well, that's us, that's, you know? be, that's because so, he'd
0: still charge a TV company a mileage rate and make money out of it. But,
2: you know, right? <laughs> that's what we were thinking. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we'd have to stop and get a kebab for him and stuff, you know, when well, we'd go to, we'd go over to McDonald's as quick as we could there. And Greg, and Greg Lake had us over one night. Greg Lake from Emerson Lake and Palmer. We were at yeah. the, we were at the, um, at the uh test match he came he was a best friend of scott autry's i don't know if you knew that okay and and he even even called and told him before he passed away he told scott that he recorded this song that scott told him he should record a long time ago and he never recorded it and then he did at the end um and he called scott to tell him that he did that and and it made scott really you know happy so he was a big fan of Speedway. He was always at Pool yeah. Speedway, and uh, and it was and we got to hang out with him and and uh, he I got to go meet him again um, when he came to the Costa Mesa to do the amphitheater over here and and uh, I got to meet him again and at, at the motel or at the hotel I went to see him and uh, he was really oh. cool to me that day. So again, uh, another rock star was in Speedway. You know, yeah. so there you go.
1: Well, no, it's, that, was, uh, that was some listen. Um, Bobby uh, <laughs> had got plenty of stories there. You know, an interesting guy. And, and quite clearly, he was a really charismatic man as well because he just made contacts and got on with people.
0: Well absolutely and I, something tells me he quite enjoyed that conversation kelf because he wouldn't stop talking and <laughs> you know I, I think UX riders you know I mean you're you're fortunate because you're still involved in the sport but yes you know guys like bobby who are uh, back over in america and have been for years now and you know um their their time in the uk is long gone um and they probably don't even talk about it that much i know bobby's still been riding a bike uh, in the states, but you know they they don't get the chance to reminisce and talk about the career very much. So I think he enjoyed that. But what a character and just part of that golden generation of uh, that golden generation of Americans that mm. were just crowd pleasers. You you saw Boogaloo was in town. You thought, yeah, this
1: is going to be good. Exactly. And I I remember coming across him when I very first started riding. He was quite an intimidating character for a young guy. I tell you. Loud and confident. Yes, exactly. He had a lot of chat, a lot of chat, but backed it up on the track as well.
0: Yeah, very and, good rider.
1: Uh, you're dead right about the fact he enjoyed it, because I think he was a touch nervous initially. But once he got warmed up, he was off and running, wasn't he? He was, Yeah, and I yeah think, brilliant, brilliant. And you're absolutely spot on, because the opportunity to actually share some of those memories with people that understand it, a few yeah. and far between, particularly yeah. when you travel back to a country that... That the sport is not particularly big, so no, it was uh, it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic listen. All and right. I'm particularly sure, the Dudley action, yeah. I, I think that might need a little bit of work <laughs> and possibly
0: <laughs> get him back over here when it's when all this coronavirus is gone. Let's get him back over here.
1: I, I, I think what we'll do, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think we will have a, a boogaloo part two, yeah. And, um, I think later in the summer we'll, we'll do another one with with Bobby because I, I sense that there is a, there's a book's worth of uh, stories that he can drag up. So and he's remembering more and more of them. But um, brilliant! I, I think in conclusion, I think it, it will make a, it, it is a great listen. And uh, delighted that he agreed to come on.
0: Nah, brilliant! And uh, you know, uh, guests like that. You know, <laughs> thanks to Lance King for giving us Boogaloo's number as well. Really appreciate mm-hmm. it. Really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, smashing